We'll be reading from uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, beginning with verse 1. And uh, Paul writes here, he says, Brothers and sisters, in view of all we have shared about God's compassion, I encourage you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, dedicated to God and pleasing to Him. This kind of worship is appropriate for you. Don't become like the people of this world. Instead, change the way you think. Then you will always be able to determine what God really wants, what is good, pleasing, and perfect. Because of the kindness that God has shown me, I ask you not to think of yourselves more highly than you should. Instead, your thoughts should lead you to use good judgment based on what God has given each of you as believers. Our bodies have many parts, but these parts don't all do the same thing. In the same way, even though we are many individuals, Christ make us, makes us use one body and individuals who are connected to each other. God in His kindness gave each of us different gifts. If your gift is speaking God's Word, make sure what you say agree with the Christian faith. If your gift is serving, then devote yourself to serving. If it is teaching, devote yourself to teaching. If it is encouraging others, devote yourself to giving encouragement. If it is sharing, be generous. If it is leadership, lead enthusiastically. If it is helping people in need, help them cheerfully. Love sincerely. Hate evil. Hold on what is good. Be devoted to each other like a loving family. Excel in showing respect for each other. Don't be lazy in showing your devotion. Use your energy to serve the Lord. Be happy in your confidence. Be patient in trouble. And pray continuously. Share what you have with God's people who are in need. Be hospitable. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and don't curse them. Be happy with those who are happy. Be sad with those who are sad. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be arrogant but be friendly to humble people. Don't think that you are smarter than you really are. Don't pay people back with evil for the evil they do to you. Focus your thought, your thoughts on those things that are considered noble. As much as it is possible, live in peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, dear friends. Instead, let God's anger take care of it. After all, Scripture says... I alone have the right to to take advantage. I will pay back, said the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. If you do this, you will make him feel guilty and ashamed. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil with good. Let's open our Bibles again this morning to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 11 and part of 12. And I know verse and a half. Uh, Next week will probably only be a half a verse, so we'll see how that works out. But Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, equipping the saints. Equipping the saints. Where the pastor does everything is like a house that has only, that is empty, completely empty, except for one chair. A church where the leaders do everything is like a house that is empty, except for a few 
chairs. A house that's not properly furnished is not very functional. And you could think about that with the illustration I just gave. A house with only one chair is not functional, right? A house needs more than a few chairs. It needs beds and bedding. It needs towels. It needs furniture for dining, for dishes, eating utensils, cooking utensils. It needs cleaning supplies, some basic repair supplies, and so on. So, why do churches sometimes expect or allow the leadership to do all of the work or even most of the work? When they do, the church isn't fully functional. Or you can think about it this way. A primary reason why a doctor will reset a broken bone is so the patient can regain the function that that bone supports. Think about walking or lifting. Until the bone is set and has healed, that part of the body is not functional. And so we need to answer two questions as we're talking about spiritual gifts and doing the work of the ministry. First, Who is responsible for doing the work of the ministry? Now, some churches would answer it, whether they'd admit it or not, that, well, the pastor does all of that, you know, or the leaders, plural, does all of that. Second, we need to ask, answer this question, what role should leaders and teachers play in the work of the ministry if they're not supposed to do all of the work? What role should they have? We're going to see today... That Christ gives us, excuse me, Christ gives spiritually gifted people to His churches. He gives spiritually gifted people to His churches to equip all members to do the work of ministry. Okay, so you can see how we're already answering those two questions. We're going to break that down and look into it in more detail the way Paul teaches it here in Ephesians 4. But that's basically it. We all are responsible for doing the work of the ministry. But there is a place for leaders, and then let me expand that a little bit as Paul does, leaders and teachers and evangelists to equip all of the members to do it. There's a place that this group of gifts or gifted people have in the church that's a little bit different than the the church at large. Now, this does not, and we should not look at this passage or any other passage as, as having a distinction between clergy and laity, as you find in a lot of churches. And that's very normal these days and typical these days, and it shouldn't be that way. There really shouldn't be that kind of distinction. Now, there's a distinction in function, as we're going to talk about. There are some gifted people that are going to have a little different ministry than the church at large. That's what we'll be looking at. So, as we are jumping into this, if you are a member of this church, then you are one of our ministers. So, if someone were to come, visit or come into our church, say, well, who are your ministers? Then you should say, well, everybody here that belongs to this church, they're all ministers. And that would be the right answer. John Stott explained that church leaders should not jealously guard ministry as if it is their own domain. And that happens a lot of times where sometimes it's the ministers who want to have all of that control. They want to have all of the glory that goes with it. They want to be the the one or ones who uh, take care of everything. 
And he says it shouldn't be that way. Rather, the church leader is one who helps and encourages all God's people to discover, to develop, and exercise their gifts. Why? To enable the people of God to be a servant people, ministering actively but humbly according to their gifts, and do that in a world of alienation and pain. And so in Ephesians 4, what, we, what we're looking at here in verses 1 through 16 is dealing with unity. Okay, how do we get there? And in this smaller section of that, 7 through 16, <clears throat> well, let me back up, sorry. What Paul did, uh, we saw a few weeks ago, before we did our series, a little short series on the gifts, spiritual gifts, was he got us thinking about these spiritual gifts. And in verses 7 through 10, he presented to us Jesus as that victorious king who, when he ascended victoriously, he gave gifts to his people. And so what he's going to be doing now is talking about those gifts. He's going to tell us more about what, what do we need to know about those gifts that Christ gave. And it is this, certain gifts are given to build up the members so that they can do the work of the ministry. Certain gifts are given to build up all the members to do the work of the ministry. And so we're going to look today at this list of equipping gifts, those that are designed for that purpose. And then next week our plan is to look at the serving gifts. Now, Paul, in Ephesians 4, doesn't list those serving gifts like he does in Romans and uh, 1 Corinthians and also a little bit uh, Peter does in 1 Peter 4. Paul's not going to list them, but he's going to talk about what they do and what they are intended to accomplish. And so we'll talk about that a little more in the next couple of weeks, and next week and the one after, at least. So, where we're at here in Ephesians is this. In verses 7 through 16, Paul is exhorting them to grow together toward the unity of the faith. He's going to talk about that a little bit later in the passage. But he's exhorting them to grow together toward unity of the faith. And we, we saw, as I mentioned already last a few weeks ago, in verses 7 through 10, that Christ gives spiritual gifts to each believer in the church. And then we're going to start into the next point today. Some gifts equip believers to serve. To what end? Growth, harmony, maturity. Verses 11 through 13. So we're going to be working our way through that. We'll take uh, at least a couple of weeks to do it. What Paul is doing here, and it's a little bit different than the other passages, is emphasizing not so much the gifts themselves, but gifted people. Okay, so he's saying that when you know Christ saves someone, he he gives them gifts as he plants them into a church, and sometimes if they move to a different church, he may change those gifts. So he gives gifts to a person, and then he gives that person to the church. And so you, member of GBC, do you realize that you are Christ's gift to this church? Okay, you are Christ's gift. And that's a beautiful thought. Until you think about it a little bit more, and then you realize that there's a lot of responsibility that goes with that, right? A lot of work, okay? But that that's what he's trying to get at. 
And so in this list of gifts, we're going to break those down into uh, into two. There are some that laid the foundation, the first two that we'll look at, apostles and prophets. And then there are others that orient us to that foundation. We're going to look at evangelists and pastors and teachers. Okay, so we're only going to actually get to point one of the outline as we work our way through uh, verses um, 11 through 13. So today we're going to look at this. Jesus gave certain gifts to equip the saints. Jesus gave certain gifts to equip the saints. So I want to back up, pick up the context, beginning verse 7. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And what he's doing here by quoting Psalm 68 is saying that Jesus is that victorious king. He's, he's like a victorious king who, who, when he is ascending, say, to his throne, he gives gifts. Verse 9, now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also who ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. So what we want to point out first here is that Christ's giving is both gracious and sovereign. It is gracious because He gives these gifts out of His abundant mercy, His abundant grace, His goodness that He gives to His church. He didn't, he didn't just save us and say, okay, you guys go and organize and, and then try to figure this out. He's like, no, I'm going to put you into local churches and I'm going to give you gifts so that you can carry on the work of the ministry. But it's also His giving is sovereign. He determines to do it, and He does it. He actually accomplishes it. He sovereignly gives to whomever He wills, which gifts He wills, according to the needs of their church. So, as I said, the first two gifts that He comes to here, they provided the foundation for the church, and so they're no longer active. The gifts of apostle and prophet are no longer active. And... We, in our previous lessons, uh, I, I put those into the category of, of foundational gifts, okay? Paul has them here in the equipping gifts um, because they continue, even though they're not active. We don't have apostles and prophets today, but we have what they left us, namely the Scriptures. There's more than that that we've talked about, but they, they've left us the Scriptures, you see, what they produced is going to be used actively day in and day out by those other three, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers, to, to equip the saints. And so there's this ongoing uh, impact that apostles and prophets have on our church even today because they gave us, uh, primarily, they gave us the Scriptures. And we use those Scriptures. That's what we, we preach from the Scriptures. Evangelists preach the gospel from the scriptures. Um, pastors use that to guide people, to guide the flock in the scriptures. So let's talk about those uh, different gifts or gifted people in a little more detail than we had previously. Apostles. Apostle just means 
one who is sent, somebody who is sent. And here, the way Paul is using that term, it refers to official delegates of Jesus Christ, people that Jesus sent out, okay? And these fall into two groups. And we're thinking here about the spiritual gift. There's other ways in which the term apostle is used in the Scripture, but we're talking about the spiritual gifts, okay? So as a gift, it, those fall into two groups of people. The first, first group is the twelve, the twelve disciples. Uh, you remember, and then Judas had to be replaced by Matthias. But, uh, and then Paul. So the twelve plus Paul. They are unique in... A number of ways. One is that they were with Jesus, as we find in Acts 1, when they replaced Judas. They had to be somebody that was with Jesus during his ministry. And and so they also had witnessed his re- resurrection. Now, Paul wasn't with Jesus in his ministry, but he did witness Jesus' resurrection. And, and so the Lord Jesus made it clear, as we found in when we talked about Acts recently, where the Spirit is poured out upon those different groups, bringing all of the different groups into the church. You had Jews and Gentiles and Samaritans and John's disciples, but also Paul was one of those that Luke calls out as having received the Spirit. And the reason he did that is to show that Paul is one of these that goes along with the twelve. These hold the office of apostle, and I oftentimes will say apostle with a capital A, because they're set apart from other apostles that I'll talk about in a minute. They have the preeminent position in the church. Because you think about the truth that we preach is apostolic truth. We call it that because we got it from the apostles. Paul would say, for I delivered to you. You see, these apostles delivered to the church the gospel and the truth of the New Testament. This group of apostles oversaw the writing of what we call the New Testament scriptures. They planted the first churches. They appointed the first leaders. And they laid out church conduct. Now, there's another group of apostles that we find in the New Testament, still thinking those who have the gift of apostle. These received the gift of apostle, but they didn't have the same authority as the 12 plus Paul. These were sent out by their local churches to establish new churches, to strengthen churches, and to appoint the initial leaders. These include people like Barnabas, James, the Lord's brother, uh, Apollos, and possibly others like Silvanus, Titus, Epaphroditus. But one thing that's different, you see, they did not write Scripture. They did not, they, they weren't the ones authorizing Scripture like the other apostles were. And they also were not the ones who laid out church uh, conduct for us. The, the previous group of apostles did that. So this, regarding the second group of apostles, their work now falls to evangelists, pastors, and teachers, as we'll see. Let's talk about prophets. Prophets communicated divine revelation. They, their ministry could be of two different kinds, and sometimes the same man would have um, both of these. They might tell the future. We call that foretelling, or it has a predictive aspect to it. But they might communicate a message directly from God to someone. And we sometimes call that forth-telling or prescriptive. They're prescribing something. And God is saying, you need to repent or here is how you are to live. 
So when a person prophesies, they're speaking or writing a message given to them directly from God. By contrast, preachers and teachers base their sermons and lessons on what the prophets have already delivered to us. So you see, the prophetic word, we've received that, and that's what we preach and teach. Now, while the New Testament was being written, prophets also ministered within local congregations. They would receive a message directly from God, but sometimes to meet a particular need of that church. Because remember, they didn't have the New Testament scriptures yet. Uh, there weren't very many books written by the time 1 Corinthians was written, for example. Uh, and so, as they, as, as churches are uh, serving and ministering and growing, they sometimes needed to know something that wasn't written in Scripture yet. And so these prophets could fill that void, that gap, until we had the Scriptures. They delivered messages directly from God to build up, to comfort, to encourage, sometimes to explain truths. But once the New Testament was completed, then we no longer needed prophets. They were replaced by the written Word of God. Okay, so now transitioning over to those that I've categorized the equipping gifts, those that are ongoing and and equipping, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, they explain those scriptures that we receive from the apostles and prophets. They help us to apply those, this written word. And these three groups now carry out the ongoing equipping work in churches. Let's talk about evangelists first. They're gifted at making the gospel clear to unbelievers. Now, we're all responsible for sharing the gospel with the people that God brings into our lives. But there's some people who are specially gifted by the Holy Spirit, and they are particularly effective at making it clear to unbelievers and also showing unbelievers their need of a Savior. Some people are, are just better at it, that, that better at it than we are, the rest of us, because God has, the Spirit has gifted them to be even more effective than than we would be. That we are effective, you know, and the Spirit's working in us, but He does this through some people more commonly, more often than He might the rest of us. The only evangelists that are mentioned in Scripture are Philip and Timothy. Men like Philip were sent out by churches to go into a new area and to bring the gospel, to preach the gospel. And so Philip, for example, ministered from, he went out from Jerusalem and he ministered from Gaza along the Mediterranean coast all the way up to Caesarea. And we're told about that in Acts 8. Today we refer to those people as missionaries. So And so we, we have some of those with us and today and, and Jim's been with us too. And, and so these are people that are sent out in order to uh, preach the gospel and other related ministries, um, sometimes raising up more people to preach the gospel and to pastor and to be evangelists. But evangelists also ministered within local churches. That's where Timothy came in. So while he was sent out, Paul said, okay, I want you to stay here in this church and I want you to minister there and do the work of an evangelist there in that church. Okay, and so sometimes an evangelist would, and and still does today, uh, work within a church, a local church. And so pray that God would continue to raise up evangelists as he has even from our own flock. We've had people that God has raised up from our flock and is sending out, has sent out, and some are being sent out into the mission field. 
pray that God would raise up more of those. But pray that He would also raise up evangelists to, who would stay here and take the gospel in this special way to the people in our area. Now, pastors and teachers, before we talk about those individually, I want to comment just briefly on um, something that gets a lot of discussion in, in commentaries, and some of you may be familiar with it. The way Paul says this in Greek, where the way he spells out these different gifts, it, it seems that he's closely associating pastor and teacher. And some people say that, well, that's one gift, pastor-teacher, or a pastor who is a teacher. And he's talking about one person. one. But then others say, no, these are two. Okay, And I think what's going on, I'll give you the, the short answer to that, is that he's talking about two different groups of teachers. First, there's this, this the, the larger group of all the teachers within the church. And that's the, the second term, teachers. But then there's a subset of those teachers, and they are pastors. And I think that's what he's talking about here. Okay? is that he's talking about all the teachers, but he associates them closely because within that group of all the teachers, there's one group, uh, a subset, that are also pastors. And so we have to remember that all pastors must be teachers, but, all, but not all teachers are pastors. So let's talk about them individually. Pastor. <clears throat> Literally, the word means a shepherd of sheep. Someone he or she would in that day... and would be the shepherd. But it also gets used figuratively for the leader of people. And so that's why we use the term here, like you have pastors, shepherds, and you are the flock, you are the sheep. And and so we shepherd you. And so this this pastor is going to be a man who is a leader of God's people within a church. And we're going to see that all of these, all of the gifts mentioned here, we'll see that, that Jesus was also described as or called the same thing. Jesus called himself the good shepherd of God's flock. In Hebrews 13, he's called the great or chief shepherd. Uh, Peter in 1 Peter 2 calls him the shepherd and guardian of your souls. And so with that in mind, let's talk a little bit more about this gift of pastor or shepherd. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 13. Let's read a couple of verses that talk about this, um, the kind of interaction between the, the shepherds and the sheep. <clears throat> Hebrews thirteen seventeen. the writer there says, Obey your leaders, and, and he's here talking about the shepherds, the elders, because of what he says about them. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And so the idea, you sometimes will hear us, uh, those of us who are your shepherds, your pastors, will call ourselves under-shepherds. And that was a term coined a number of years back to bring out the idea of what's going on here. You have Jesus as the chief shepherd, the good shepherd that's over all of us, and then we serve under him. So we're not the end all. Your, your pastors are not the end all. We're not the buck stops here. No, because the buck stops with Jesus. Okay, We answer to him, and he says that here that we will give an account to Him. So there may be times where you don't really like the decisions that we make and the direction that we go or whatever. But remember, 
We're accountable to Jesus. We, we have to answer to Him. And we shall answer to Him. Okay? <clears throat> and he goes on, Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. And so, obey, submit, and let them do this with joy. Okay, turn over to First Peter 5. Another brief passage here. <clears throat> 1 Peter 5, the first three verses, Peter, they're now turning his attention directly to the elders. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. And here's what you are to do. Shepherd the flock of God. That's the word for pastor. Okay, Shepherd the flock of God among you. Exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. And not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And see, there's that equipping aspect, being examples to the flock. So a part of the way that the pastors equip the flock, is not only, we'll talk about this a little more, about the, the leading and feeding aspects, but serving as, an ex, as examples. So if we're, you know, and I'm standing up here telling you that, okay, all of us need to be busy doing the work of the ministry, a part of the job of pastors is to set an example so that you see, you know, we're not sitting in the office and just telling you, you know, how to go do it. We're also doing the work with you, okay? And setting an example, okay? So under the Lord Jesus, pastors lead, feed, keep watch over, guard, and care for God's people. They direct the overall ministry of the church. There's the leading aspect. They oversee the teaching ministry of the church. There's the feeding aspect. And, and we, we do a good bit of that feeding work, that teaching and preaching. But those of you who are teachers but not pastors, you're learning. By example, you, you're not going to preach exactly like I do, spare people, right? But but you're, you're learning about how, you know, you, you see those of us who are pastors and as we teach and to encourage you in your teaching ministry. And pastors exercise spiritual care for the flock by overseeing counseling and discipleship. And again, we do a good bit of counseling and discipleship. We set an example. But we help to prepare you all to do that as well. So, now let's talk about teachers. Teachers build up the body of Christ by explaining what God has revealed in the Scriptures. Remember what the apostles and prophets gave us. Teachers explain that, but they also help the saints learn how to apply those Scriptures and what they find there, how to apply it to their lives. The gift of teaching has a variety of functions. There's preaching, teaching Sunday school, teaching Bible studies, discipling, counseling. So some of you may not have considered yourself a teacher, but maybe you are active in discipling others. Well, then you're a teacher. Or maybe you're active in, in counseling. Well, then you would be a teacher. There's other gifts that overlap with that to make you the counselor you are. But these are some of the ways that the gift of teaching is used in the church. We imitate Jesus the teacher when we teach with authority, teaching from the Scriptures. You know, the, the religious leaders of their day a lot of times would base this on their own ideas. Well, you know, I think, maybe, and they would usually not come to conclusions. 
Jesus said, no, I'm going to tell you what Scripture says. I'm coming to a conclusion because the Scripture says this. And that's how we teach. We teach from the Scriptures and we teach with authority. The authority of God, the authority of Jesus, okay? Not our own authority. Now, back in Ephesians 4. Let me read verse 12. So, verse 11, He gave these different gifted people. Verse 12, For the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. So, as I said, those foundational gifts of apostle and prophet, they have this this ongoing ministry to us, even though we don't have apostles and prophets anymore. Because what they gave us is what we evangelists, pastors, and teachers use to equip all the saints to be effective in using their gifts as they serve the church. And this term, equip, was used in a number of different ways. And a couple of ways I wanted to call out that are good examples for us. One is uh, it was used to, to describe in medical texts how to set a broken bone. And another way, similarly, is mending of fishing nets. You know, and I can tell you, I I grew up, we used a lot of fishing nets, and and some of them were really huge, you'd pull behind a boat, others were like a cast net, things like that. And, you know, I, I spent a lot of time mending those nets, okay? Because if you didn't, they weren't very effective. And because the fish would slip right through the hole that you didn't mend. Same with a broken bone. You, if you have a broken leg, you're not going to be able to walk. Okay, not on that leg anyway. And so you will lose the effective use of that. Pastors and teachers, for example, restore those in need, like setting a bone or mending a net. That's kind of one way to look at how we equip others. That term equip was also used for furnishing a room. And so you can think back to what I was talking about, you know. So is, is our, if, if you expected, you know, one of us, uh, the six pastors, to do all the work, then this would be like a house that has one room in it or one uh, chair in it. Or, okay, the elders and deacons and women's council, they do everything. Okay, well, it's a house with a few chairs, right? You see, it's not properly furnished. Shepherds equip the saints by leading, feeding, guarding, protecting, and caring for the saints. Teachers educate the saints in the scriptures. They provide the necessary foundation so that they can use their own gifts. And they help saints apply the biblical principles. Evangelists build up the church by leading people to Christ so that they're added to the church. Because if we didn't have evangelists, and if, if the gospel was not getting preached, then the church would just shrink and shrink and shrink, and eventually we'd all die out. But evangelists build up the church by bringing more people into the church by bringing them to the Savior. So these three groups, theirs is work that makes others fit. Fit for what? We're just going to touch on this fit for the initial goal of the saints doing the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is a responsibility of all of us. Uh, When God adds you to the church, you're now responsible for the work of the ministry in that church. Not all the work. You're just taking a piece of it according to the gifts that God has given you, that Christ has given you. We'll talk about more that more next time. Can you see how Jesus, that victorious king, 
of verses 7 through 10, how He cares for His church. He's given her gifts that provide tender care for the saints. So you have shepherds who come along and sometimes they have to to pick the sheep up and bring them back to the fold. Sometimes they have to pick up a, a sick you know, injured sheep and then and try to nurse them back to good health and through shepherding, counseling. And then teachers who are counselors do that same thing in counseling, right? He, Jesus gives gifts to help us understand God's Word because this is what we, we feed on. This is, we need this. We can't do ministry without this. We can't do life without this. And so He's given us, so graciously given us teachers to explain it to us, but also to help us apply it to our broken lives. And then think about the care of the Savior. He gives us gifts that tell others about our blessed Savior. He gives us people who He uses in special ways to invite people into the kingdom, to meet the King. This King we're talking about. Jesus has secured all of this on His cross. And because of His great love for us, let's come to His table and worship Him. The Father gave His Son to die for us. He gave Jesus to us. We were lost without hope. But because of His great love for us, He gave us His Son to die in our place. And then another scripture tells us that along with His Son, as if, why would we want more? We have Jesus, right? But God says, oh, I just want you to know how generous I am and how much I love you. Because with my precious Son, the one who is so precious to me, I give Him to you. I'm also with Him going to give you what? Do you remember? All things. I'm going to, he, has, he will freely, with Him, give us all things, or has given us all things. And part of that all things is what we're talking about here today. Those spiritual gifts. Jesus secured all of that on the cross. And when He rose again, He made it possible to give us life and to give us that. And then when He ascended, remember, as He was that victorious King ascending to His throne in heaven, He gave gifts to His people. Or as Paul would say, He gave gifted people to His church. That would be you and me. That's how much He loves us.